Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today is a day off. It's the 5th of July, the day after the 4th of July. CDT and the Guadalupe Radio Network has a day off. So today, we're playing the best of Catholic Drive Time, and we got a great interview, some great interviews lined up for today, and they're all American-related. So it's something about the United States of America, Joe McClain. I'm going to put up one of his old uh, episodes where he was talking about Memorial Day, so that's going to be up here today. And uh, the first interview is going to be with Dan Leroy and on his book, Liberty's Lions. So there's going to be no gospel today, no saying the day. We're going to be skipping that for today, but don't worry. Tomorrow we will be back at a hundred percent at our normal, regular scheduled programming. We'll be here live tomorrow morning from 6 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, stay tuned because Dan Leroy is coming up next with his book, Liberty's Lions. You're not going to want to miss this interview about the United States of America and our founders. Break here. Going up to the war, well, who are the major players from a Catholic perspective? One of the major players is mentioned in Liberty's Lions, and that's Charles Carroll of Carrollton. He's from Maryland. He's one of the richest men in America, but he's also one of the smartest men in America. He is the founding father. He's the only Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence, by the way. But he is the only founder who sees clearly 10 years before the revolution, certainly much uh, sooner than any other founder, that revolution is not only inevitable, but that it is something that the colonies can actually win. And a large part of that is due to his Catholic faith. He understands this from a perspective of being a persecuted Catholic. He understands it from a perspective of Catholics who are seeking religious liberty in the colonies and who realize that the colonies have become something different than America. They're no longer bound exclusively by English law and English custom. They've created something different. They've created something that is friendly, potentially, to Catholics. And it's why Charles Carroll of Carrollton saw very clearly that revolution was on the horizon. And again, he saw this before any of the other founders. Do you think there was a sentiment among Catholics, as I, as I mentioned when we were connecting you, uh, that this was a time when in England they were still hunting priests down and persecuting priests. So was there a sentiment among Catholics in America to say, yes, let's definitely put off the shackles of merry old England so that we might have freedom? Uh, well, I, I think there's some of that, but don't forget that uh, they were hunting down some priests in the colonies, too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, the promise of religious liberty was something that was often more theoretical than practical. Uh, on balance, I think what you say has some truth to it, that uh, it's kind of the case of the devil you know. Mm. That is, everyone had seen what it was like in England, where there are less than 1% of people who claim to be Catholics by this point. All right, hold that thought. Uh, Our country was founded by a lot of uh, big names that we all know and love these days, but a lot of people don't realize how connected these people were through uh, Freemasonry and the Masonic Lodge. How about the Catholics? I mean, it's, a, it's against church teaching to be a participant of these, uh, of these organizations. So how do the Catholics fit into a, a group of people that were connected like this through these Masonic Lodges? How do they cooperate with them at all? 
Well, one uh, way they cooperated with him is they, uh, in some cases, like the case of Daniel Carroll, uh, they uh, they actually joined the Masonic lodges uh, against oh. church teaching, and that uh, <laughs> that certainly caused a lot of people, including Daniel Carroll's brother, Father John Carroll, who was the first Catholic bishop and later first Catholic archbishop in America, caused him a lot of consternation. I can imagine. But outside of that, uh, you know, as far as what the founders thought of, of these Catholics, uh, it, it really kind of ranges on a continuum. You have some folks, familiar names, as you say, uh, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, Samuel Adams, who are pretty overtly anti-Catholic, and you know, we do have them on the record about that. Uh, then you have folks like John Adams, who uh, seem to be very puzzled by Catholicism. Then you have folks like Benjamin Franklin, who are at least circumspect about what they may or may not believe regarding Catholicism. The guy who really stands out, though, among all the founders is George Washington. That's why he gets his own chapter in Liberty's Lions. George Washington is a guy who is not just tolerant of Catholics, uh, in word, but also in deed. Example would be in 1775 when he takes over the Continental Army. There's a tradition throughout the Northeast called Pope's Night. It sounds like a fun Catholic evening, but it really <laughs> isn't. It's actually a very anti-Catholic event that allows people to get drunk in public and burn the Pope in effigy. Wow. When Washington takes over as commander-in-chief, he says, look, we're going to put the kibosh on this because we cannot expect uh, our fellow citizens who are Catholic to join our cause if we're going to insult them publicly in this way. And he does put the kibosh on it. And Catholics always remembered that, that Washington wasn't just a guy who talked the talk, but also walked the walk. So Washington, while a lot of Catholics would like to claim him as a secret Catholic, I don't know that the evidence really backs that up. But one thing that the book does try to prove is Washington, I think, was far more than this very disinterested deist who really wasn't that interested in religion, didn't have any particular beliefs. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest the contrary. So Washington, uh, among the founders, is unique in that way. Would you say uh, John Adams and obviously Thomas Jefferson, they, they were more of the deist and sort of disinterested uh, type of uh, founding fathers? I think that's probably true. You know, there's a lot of examples of that. Uh, Jefferson's Bible, where he cut and pasted all the parts that he liked and got rid of the stuff that he didn't. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of correspondence between the two of them that suggests this. On the other hand, we'll give John Adams uh, some credit. Uh, although he was fairly skeptical, uh, later on after the Revolution, he becomes one of the subscribers that helps build uh, the first Catholic church in Boston. So uh, he uh, he at least, uh, if, if nothing else, extended uh, the financial hand there. How did these found like George Washington or the Continental Congress, uh, most of which weren't Catholic, as we know? But how did they look at the uh, the savior of the revolution in many ways, which was the French? The, if without the French Navy in particular, uh, George Washington would have likely been lost in his cause. So, uh, how did they look upon the French being so Catholic prior to the French Revolution, of course, and and yet still hold some anti-Catholic sentiments? 
Well, there's a great quote, speaking of founders who were fairly anti-Catholic, there's a great quote from Alexander Hamilton toward the end of the war when things are still hanging in the balance. And he, he writes in a letter, and I'm paraphrasing, but only a little, he says, oh God, if we're going to be saved, it's going to be the French and the Spanish who are going to have to save us. And uh, he was right about that. That's exactly the way it turned out, that the French and the Spanish uh, were the saviors. One of the things that's interesting, though, is you know, to go back to the whole reason about why Catholics and their contributions in the revolution are kind of downgraded. You know, the numbers will tell you that during the colonial period, there are twenty four to 30,000 Catholics in the colonies at the time. It's less than 2%, and not all of them were patriots. So if you look at the raw numbers, you will say, well, how significant a contribution could this tiny percentage of people make? Uh, that's wrong on one level, because out of that small group of people came some of the most extraordinary leaders of the revolution. But when you figure in the foreign contributions, when you figure in, as you say, uh, the French military presence, the Spanish, the Polish, the Germans. There's an estimate in the book, uh, and it's probably never going to be confirmed, but I think there's a lot of historical accuracy behind it that suggests that as many as 70% of the soldiers who fought on the side of liberty were Catholic. Wow. Now, once you do the math there, it gives you a very different picture to what we're used to hearing about the revolution and the Catholic part in it. Were there stories about Catholic Protestant uh, infighting within the Revolutionary Continental Army? I don't think there's a lot of it. Uh, there's less than you would think, you yeah. know, given the uh, given the history. And we're talking again, uh, 150 years of history in some cases prior to this in the colonies. There are certainly cases of Catholic and Protestant infighting all throughout the colonies, in particular. Uh, in Maryland and Pennsylvania, two colonies which were kind of founded on the promise of religious liberty. But once the revolution starts, everybody seems to more or less have adopted a pretty practical mindset. There is a, a common enemy here. There's a bigger goal. And religious infighting uh, is going to have to take a back seat. And as proof of that, uh, the only two places in the colonies where you could say a public mass prior to the Revolutionary War, those being Old St. Joseph's Church in Philadelphia and right down the street, Old St. Mary's. Uh, some of the founders did worship there, mm -hmm. uh, including Washington, including John Adams. Uh, and there was actually at Old St. Mary's, which is the bigger church, there was a, a service held after the victory at Yorktown. Uh, so people were able, I think, to, to put some of these differences aside. Uh, certainly didn't solve all the problems, but you, you don't have a lot of reports of, of this kind of infighting that you're talking about. And again, I think it's because the bigger goal was such a huge goal, uh, such a goal that, that demanded everybody's full attention that that kind of stuff really, uh, Got swept under the rug, I believe, in most cases. Dan Leroy is our guest. His book is Liberty's Lions, the Catholic Revolutionaries Who Established America, published by Sophia Institute Press. You can find it at sophiainstitute.com. I'm going to be picking up a copy. I'm very intrigued by this book. I haven't read it, but it's uh, my kind of book, let's just say. What about, uh, we have about four minutes left in our conversation with you, uh, Dan. What about the 
post-Revolutionary uh, War. Once we have established that we have independence, we've uh, successfully ousted the British Army from uh, from uh, America. What was the relationship like with Catholics at that point? Uh, did uh, did things go back to sort of the colonial days where there was tension again, or or did we move forward with a new foot? Uh, we actually did both. Uh, the the post-revolutionary period is a period of fairly calm relations between Catholics and Protestants. Catholics had won the respect, in a lot of cases, of their fellow Protestants. And Catholics, post-war, are starting on the very big project of building uh, an American Catholic Church. And that's largely the work of Father John, later Bishop John Carroll. Things don't start to become really tense again until the, the demographic in America changes a little bit later in the 19th century. Once we start to see immigration really transform the face of the church and transform the face of our country, that's when you see a lot of the tensions return with the rise of groups like the Know Nothings mm. in the middle of the 19th century. And, you know, assimilating all of those folks from Italy, from Ireland, was a big, big job, and, and it certainly did create its share of tensions. Immediately following the revolution, though, things really were as calm and, and peaceful uh, as anybody had a right to expect that they would be following what had just occurred. Have you ever read John Spaulding's The Church of Liberty and the Culture? It is an incredible I have, work. I've not. Uh, 18, I think he wrote it in the, in the late 19th century, uh, and it, it talks about the, the anti-Catholic sentiment in our country at that time, just to kind of hit on what you just said. It's a great book. It's one of my prized uh, books in my library, and I would recommend it for sure. But we have just about two minutes left. I want to ask, what was the standout character in, in your book? What was like the, the, the one Catholic character in your book that you wanted to bring the most attention to? My favorite character in the book is probably Adrienne de Lafayette, the wife of the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, as it says in the book, if there's a saint anywhere in the book, it's probably her. <laughs> she never set foot on American soil. So in one case, you'd say, you know, how, how is she a revolutionary? She made all the things that Lafayette did possible. Wow. She's an extraordinary woman who took her children with her. Uh, after the French Revolution to spend two years in prison with her husband because she did not want their family to be separated. Ugh. And Lafayette, by his own admission, was not a great Catholic, not a great Christian, uh, but she never stopped fighting for his soul right up until uh, she was on her deathbed. We don't know whether she was successful, uh, but she was certainly a heroic figure who never wow. stopped, just like St. Monica. Well, we're out of time. We are out of time. You're going to have to buy the book to see how it ends, I guess. Uh, pick it up. It's Liberty's Lions, the Catholic Revolutionaries, Who Established America by Dan Leroy, published by Sophia Institute Press, sophiainstitute.com. Dan, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, 
your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Jesus Christ, and I hope you are having a wonderful 4th of July uh, Monday, so 5th of July, and this is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today we are not in the studio, so you just heard an interview with Dan Leroy with his uh, book, Liberty's Lions, and next we are having a interview, or not rather, we're not having an interview, this is actually a clip of uh, Joe McClain and his talk on Memorial Day, it's a great uh, if you did, if you missed it on Memorial Day, he talked about our soldiers, and this is such a great uh, little monologue that Joe McClain gave that I wanted to show it to y'all a second time. So this is what's about to be playing in a second, but don't worry. Tomorrow we will be back live and in studio with our regularly scheduled programming, and it's going to be a great lineup this week. So you won't want to miss this week. So 6 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Eastern Time with your regularly scheduled Catholic drive time all week, except for today, the 5th of July, which we have a great day off thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Uh, let us know uh, how your 4th of July weekend was. Feel free to send us, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, we will be back with y'all. And we'll be telling y'all how we spent our 4th of July. Here's a quick hint. I'm sure that Joe and I slept quite a bit, spent uh, a good chunk of the of our 4th of July weekend in bed, catching up on those Z's. So God bless for the opportunity to take a little bit of a nap and sleep in a couple days. But don't worry, tomorrow on July 6th, we will be back in studio live to have our regularly scheduled Catholic drive time. But for today, I'm about to throw you into Joe McClain's talk on Memorial Day and about our respect for our soldiers. The 77th anniversary was on Sunday, June 6th. 1944, 150,000 plus men uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, in an effort to put troops on the ground in Europe to push back against Hitler and Nazism and fascism. And uh, there was an article that was put out yesterday, I think it was yesterday, apparently the Lincoln Project put out an ad over the weekend equating the men who stormed Normandy with Antifa. And this should be an offense uh, to anyone who has a conscience, in my opinion. However, especially to those who have served and especially to those who have given their lives in the pursuit of freedom in the service of our country. Now, I want to just remind you of some of the things, because I think it's it's very easy for us, you know, the further away we get from, from these moments in time, the more we... we we failed to remember the details. Of course, how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you remember Pearl Harbor Day every year? Do you? 
How about uh, 9-11? Is that becoming more and more faded from your memory? Oh, D-Day was a long time ago, 77 years. Like I said, 150,000 men were put into action. Uh, this is a quote from the History, Ch History Channel. Not my favorite resource, by the way. Um, but I, I thought it, can, it summarizes things pretty well here. It says, quote, While casualty figures are notoriously difficult to verify, not all wounded soldiers are counted. For example, uh, the accepted estimate is that Allies suffered 10,000 casualties on June 6, 1944, the one day. The highest casualties occurred on Omaha Beach, where 2,000 U.S. troops were killed, wounded, or weren't, went missing. Uh, at Sword Beach and Gold Beach, where 2,000 British troops were killed, wounded, or went missing. At Juneau Beach, where 340 Canadian soldiers were killed, and another 574 wounded. I want you to put in your mind this contrast between Antifa, you know, the people who have basically hijacked uh, people, uh, cities like Portland, Oregon, for instance, or um, uh, cities in Minneapolis, um, or Minnesota, rather. And they are attacking courthouses. They are taking over city blocks. Uh, violence ensues and craziness and chaos across our country. And compare and contrast that with these men. Imagine yourself being on a boat shipped across the channel you're young you don't you don't know what you're about to face you wanted to serve your country and so you signed up you heeded the call and there you are after months of boredom and training in england now is that day you waited on the boats for for uh, hours upon hours just waiting for the call and now here you are sailing towards the the shore of france and you disembark the boat and you you climb down a cargo net into uh, a landing craft packed you know, in there like sardines. You can't really see anything. You can only look up, really. You can't see out in, in front of you. You don't know what you're facing. Only the driver of the craft can see what's coming. But you can't. And then that moment comes, and by then, your hands are cold and clammy, and your heart is beating out of its chest. Thump. Thump, thump. Thump, thump. Your eyes are darting around. You're looking around, trying to find courage in your friends, and you're, you're, you're sick. Your stomach is just sick to itself. Not just because of the motion of the ocean, because of the anxiety of the unknown of what will happen next. The artillery fire starts. The automatic machine gun fire starts. The ramp drops, and men began to offload some drowned almost immediately their bodies carried out to sea never to be found or heard from again it would be a full year and a day later before they would be counted in the casualty count their grave markers would not say june 6 1944 their grave markers would say june 7 1945 many men shot killed dead before they even had a chance to storm that beach and still and still they pressed on now what were they pressing on for what was their goal well let's define terms here Fascid, fascism is what we are told by the lincoln project who says that antifa is like these soldiers as brave and as courageous as these young men who went unknowingly uh, to their death in many cases they were fighting fascism well, let's define terms 
According to Merriam-Webster, fascism is a political philosophy, a movement, a regime, and uh, that exalts nation and often race above the individual, and that stands for a centralized autocratic government heated by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of op opposition. Notice the race card played there. Were these young men focused on race on that day? I don't think so. What about socialism? You know the Nazis were socialists, right? I think we can forget that sometimes. But they were fascists, and they were socialists. Any of various economic, this is according to Merriam-Webster definition of socialism, any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. The state gets to decide how goods are managed, how they are distributed, who gets them, and why and how much. You know, it, it, this revisionist history that we live in, it's diabolical. Just the other day, there was this crazy story of an Amazon driver charged with attacking a 67-year-old woman during a delivery dispute. Now, you know, tensions rise. People get angry. They get snippy. They get uh, crude and crass. They say mean things. And then we lash out because we fail to control our concupiscent appetites. Our pride is, is, is harmed. And we attack well, this particular delivery uh, driver, she was shouting something about white privilege as she beat on this 67-year-old woman. I bring this up to point out this is one of many stories in the headlines these days of race-focused violence and tensions rising. BLM uh, marched in the very square of George Floyd. Gunfire erupts in a gun battle in the very square where George Floyd died. Not all that long ago. BLM and Antifa routinely partner together in their chaos. Race being at the center of it. Race being a major factor in fascism. Who is exactly like the soldiers on D-Day? Is it Antifa? Uh, the Lincoln Project seems to think so. This is very concerning. In the 1930s across Europe, the, the, the water was boiling in anti-Semitism, in violence against people because of their ethnicity. And the average ordinary citizens of Germany began slowly to accept this and to go along with it. You know, if you've ever looked at the photos of uh, ordinary citizens at the time of concentration camps living in the towns nearby, it, it boggles the mind. You just sit there and stare at them and wonder, how is this possible? How is it you? How is it you could have lived next to a concentration camp that, that would slaughter so many people simply because they were Jews? Well, my people, if we do not wake up soon... If we do not give up on our concupiscent passions and seek to uh, uh, cling to Christ with all our might and have a total conversion, to give our lives completely over to him, to live by the sacramental graces that he has poured down upon us, gives access to us uh, on a daily basis, we will find ourselves in the same situation all over again. Antifa is nothing like the young men who disembarked from those boats, stormed those beaches, as teenagers mostly, living and dying, drowning 
suffering. We've all seen the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan. It gave us the, uh, a taste. How about The Longest Day? It gives us a taste of the actual combat that these young men had to face. Answering the call to truly combat fascism. To come to the rescue of these Jews that were hated by so many across Europe. Were they perfect men? No, they were not. But they were courageous nonetheless. These days of ours, they require courage. They require holiness. Because without holiness, we will not obtain heaven our friends, our neighbors, are they buying into this? I would hope not. Let us pray and sacrifice for them. Do we do penance for the people who buy into this garbage of Antifa, garbage of race-baiting war, race-baiting violence in our country? God has made man in his likeness and his image, and dignity does every human person possess, no matter their background. Do we see Christ in others? Or do we just listen to this rhetoric and buy into it? We have to make a choice. And I fear for our country if we do not make that choice. For Christ, for truth, for common sense even. These are very concerning days. Let us remember the sacrifice of so many that have been forgotten. 77 years. The survivors are nearly 100 years old at this point. Could you imagine the ghosts and the shadows that they carry every single day from just that one day of combat, let alone all the others that they had to face? And by God's grace alone, they seem to survive. Let's remember their sacrifices and all the sacrifices of those who would courageously face such incredible, intense situations for the cause of freedom. The sacrifices of those who have fallen. Amen? Amen. Bug Hall is going to be our guest on the other side of this break, along with breaking news with Janelle. So, so much kind of drive time is headed your way. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, The Catholic Church is just out of touch. It's going to have to change if it ever hopes to be relevant in today's world. But G.K. Chesterton says, We do not need a church that will move with the world. We need a church that will move the world. It's not that the church has to change, it's that the world has to change, and it's up to us, as the church, to change the world. That is the call to conversion. We don't convert the world by giving in to it. Chesterton says, The world is converted by the saint that contradicts it most. I guess that explains why in an age that worships money, sex, and power, the most influential woman in the modern world was a tiny little nun taking care of the sick and dying in the streets of Calcutta. Want more than a minute? Visit Chesterton.org. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is Adrian Fonseca, your producer. And there's no breaking news today, but uh, instead of breaking news, we are going to do something a little different because Joe McClain on Friday of last week challenged us over the weekend to read the Declaration of Independence. If we had never read the Declaration of Independence before, or if it's been since high school, like it has for most of us, including myself, I challenge you, said Joe McClain, to read the Declaration of Independence over the 4th of July weekend. Well, today is the 5th of July, and we are not in the studio. This is not a live program. You are listening to a pre-recorded show, and but don't worry. Tomorrow, we'll be back in studio with our regularly scheduled programming. But for today, I wanted to give us the opportunity to just read a little bit of the Declaration of Independence. After I read about a paragraph and a half, uh, we will get into an interview and and uh, it'll be a, it'll be a great interview. So don't don't worry. Don't worry. Everything will be wonderful. And we'll go right into this interview after a small segment of the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them. A decent respect to the opinion of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that government long established should not be charged for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invents invites invinces a design to reduce them under absolute depotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient suffrage of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them. To alter their former system of government, the history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all things in direct object and establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove, let's fa- let let facts be submitted to a candid world. And here is where they uh, start listing their grievances against the king and against the uh, monarchy and their reasons for leaving. And I'll leave it at that for today. But something to focus on, something to meditate on, something that is inspired, even though that these men were mostly Freemasons, uh, these men were not Catholics. There was a lot of Catholic sentiment, a lot of Catholic ideas that were wrapped up in this Declaration of Independence, namely the un alienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness this is very important this is something that directly 
is related to the Catholic faith and directly related to things that our Lord Jesus Christ taught. What were these things that I'm referring to? Well, what is the pursuit of happiness? The pursuit of happiness is nothing less than the pursuit of God himself. How is this? How can this be so? How is this true? Well, let me tell you. The pursuit of happiness. What is ultimate happiness? Ultimate happiness or ultimate beatitude is with God because God is a fulfillment of human desires. Every single thing. St. Augustine has famously said that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And we have a right given to us by our creator to pursue God above all things. And that is the primary end of man. And that is the primary thing that we should be striving for every day. And speaking of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Nick McKinley is on to talk about slavery in America Praise today. Praise be to God. Thanks for your time today. I was looking at your website and, uh, you know, up to 150,000 victims held as commercial sex slaves in the U.S. Uh, that's a startling number of slaves that are being uh, held right now. And I think it's a topic that I find even in Catholic circles, uh, very few people ever talk about, we're very passionate people about uh, abortion and, and other crimes against the dignity of the human person, uh, but this is a topic I wish we talked a lot more about, so I'm very excited that you're on today. Um, former CIA agent, uh, spending your life now uh, combating this evil, can you just maybe set the stage, what is the state of human trafficking in our world today? Nick McKinley. <laughs> Well, well, thanks, Joe, and thanks for you know helping to shine a light on this uh, this issue. Like you said, it's a it's a terrible scourge that's happening within our society, and uh, you know we are called to you know to free the slave, and so that's that we we need to get about the business of doing that, and that's what we decided to do here at Deliver Fund uh, with our lives. Uh, so when we talk about human trafficking. As you mentioned, we just need to get it out in the open that that is just a very uh, uh, modern word for slavery. Uh, slaves are not held in the uh, in the way that they used to be held. Right? We we tend to think of slavery as people who are chained and and being uh, you know being forced to uh, perform labor against their will. Well, we can just remove the chains, and now those chains are psychological. Those chains are uh, familial. Those chains are are really fraud, force, coercion, and violence, uh, and that's what we're facing today. Mm. Who are human traffickers? I mean, uh, I mean, can you profile these people? Are they a certain kind? Is it all male? Are they a certain age? Are they a certain ethnicity? Are they? A, I mean, like, who are these people? If we could easily profile them, then the fight would be much easier for law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement or human traffickers do fit uh, certain demographic conditions, uh, primarily where they come from. Uh, a lot of human traffickers become human traffickers because they're they're facing uh, inner city poverty. They're facing they're facing a lot of the issues that somebody would. Uh, say, choose to join a gang or choose to uh, join some other type of criminal enterprise. Uh, and so many human traffickers are coming out of those impoverished situations, seeing you know what they regard as being a pimp. Uh, make no mistake, uh, the word pimp is just a fancy word for human trafficker, for slaveholder. Um, but they see that as a way out of inner city poverty and then that very just very, very quickly just becomes what it is that they do. Uh, it's not an excuse for enslaving other people, but it is a reason that we need to pay attention to. So these human traffickers, 
think that they're just that many of them that we've spoken with think that they're just becoming a a, a pimp that they're they're going to participate in uh you know pimping and prostitution and, and they don't see it as the actual brutal form of of slave holding and control of another person that it actually is uh, speaking of which, why is it that the uh, human trafficking doesn't really get the reputation that it deserves? It's kind of overlooked and it's like a side issue. Uh, why does it not get the attention that I say uh, slavery in America a uh, hundred years ago does? That's a great question. And it all lies right here. Uh, it's really the, the, massive mass adoption of smartphone technologies right uh, and the fact that we now have a, a broadband connected computer in our pocket when you look at uh what used to be considered uh kind of pre mass adoption of internet technologies it used to just be considered uh prostitution um, many people didn't realize that many of, of those, those persons who were engaging in, in prostitution were actually being forced to do that. But everybody knew what side of town you could go to, uh, where there was a red light district that, you know, you had prostitutes that were walking up and down what they referred to as a track that was out in the open. We could see it. So the question is, where in your town is that today? chances are that that appears to have cleaned up, but it's not, it's just been driven indoors because human traffickers no longer need to advertise those products on the street. They can now advertise them on the internet, just like any other business. Nick McKinley is our guest. He is with DeliverFund. DeliverFund.org is the website. Highly encourage you to check it out. We'll link to it as well on our social feeds. Uh, we're talking about the scourge of human trafficking. Now, Nick, former CIA guy, former pararescueman, uh, you've been deployed overseas on probably many occasions. You've seen some action. Uh, what made you, did you do this work for, I mean, I, I don't know what you can and cannot tell me, but did you do human traffic hunting in, in your work as a federal agent or as a, as a member of the armed services? No, I tried to, uh, that's actually how I ended up uh, forming deliver fund, uh, really, uh, the, and many people have heard me tell the story publicly. Uh, I was actually in Lashkar, Afghanistan. Uh, I, I walked away from a little over 17 years of government service with, uh, with 30 combat deployments under my belt, 30. Uh, which seems like a lot, wow. 30. Um, that seems like a lot, but that is, I mean, I have friends who are, who are over 50. Some of them are over 60 combat deployments. And we need to keep in mind that this is the, the longest war in the history of our country. So there are people who joined the military, went to say a special operations unit after September 11th and have, have been at war every single year since. Um, well, you don't, you, you don't do that type of work at that level and, and that type of scale without getting very, very good at it if you're still alive. Mm. Um, and so, most of the work that I did uh, within you know, the military and the CIA was all uh, personal recovery, counter-narcotics, and counter-terrorism. This is a Messy Family Minute from Mike and Alicia Hernan. The deepest desire for many of us as parents is to pass on the faith to our children. And to do that, parents need to be very intentional. First, we need to look at ourselves and live our faith authentically, because more is caught than taught. 
Most kids, especially teens, sense hypocrisy quickly, so we need to live a life of humility by asking for forgiveness, acting with charity, and loving generously. Next, create a unified Catholic culture in your family. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world, so we cannot be afraid to be countercultural. And last, don't protect children from every failure, because suffering brings maturity. We need to remember that Christ promised us the cross, but he also promised to be with us every step of the way. When we teach this to our children, we are guiding them into mature faith in Christ who will satisfy all the longing of their hearts. For more information and resources, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. And so most of the work that I did uh, within, you know, the military and the CIA was all uh, personal recovery, counter narcotics and counterterrorism. But we continually bumped into the human trafficking problem. And every time I tried to find a uh, an outlet for that, every time I tried to find you know somebody who was dealing with human trafficking in the same way we were dealing with with the terrorism issue or the narcotics issue, could never find anybody. And that's when we just decided that we couldn't look away and we needed to we needed to do something about this every trafficked child is purchased for sex 5.4 times per day stat listed on deliverfund.org let that sink in nick mckinley is our guest he's the founder of deliverfund.org spent 17 years in the service of our country in the military as well as the cia and uh now has an organization of of uh, human traffic hunters praise be to god for their work and he is our guest, and we're talking about this difficult subject. Thank you for being on our show again, Nick. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Joe. Uh, I know the team has a bunch of questions. I kind of want to jump into some more practical stuff. Maybe we can end up there. But uh, one of the questions I want to lead off with real quick is, Nick, can you help me understand who are the customers that would buy a product like this? If you want a good snapshot of who the customers are uh, for human trafficking victims, go to Deliver Fund's website and look at some of our recent uh, press releases. Uh, we, our analysts just did an operation in Tampa Bay, Florida around WWE, and there were 79 people arrested. Some of those were human traffickers, some of those were customers, and you'll get to see the, the, the snapshot of them all. Um, one of the very scary things is that uh, of the 79 customers, one was a wrestling coach and another was a, was a pastor of a local church. Mm. So these are, these are people that, that, you know, these are people in, 
maybe not your immediate circle, but definitely people that you interact with who are acting as customers. And let's let's make no mistake about this. This is a demand-driven market. Um, in many cases, the economics show that availability will also drive the market. But at the end of the day, you have to have a demand. And so anybody who thinks that they're participating in prostitution and has done so more than three times, there's a 100% chance that they have fed money into the human trafficking cycle and they have abused a slave. Wow. Now, on your website here, Nick, it says every 2.5 hours, a child is taken by human traffickers. Now, I we broadcast out of Houston. When I first moved here, I was shocked at how many Amber Alerts we get for missing children. It's like, especially if you go out into more rural areas, it's, it's like constant. Um, so why are children so easy, being taken so easily? Like, why, who's protecting them or, or not protecting them? Well, we need to first uh, discuss what we talk about when we say taken. Uh, this isn't the movie taken, right? This isn't, you know, children abducted and, and taken into a black van and taken overseas and sold. And while that does happen, and uh, it, it's actually very rare. What When we say taken, what we mean is, is a child who's in a very vulnerable situation. That could be for any number of reasons. They, they could be a runaway. They could have uh, aged out of the foster care system, which means they might be 18 in one day, but let's face it, they're still very much a child. Um, they, it, it could just be any, any type of vulnerable child is going to be preyed upon by human traffickers. This is their business. It's what they do. They're very good at it. Uh, they're usually mentored by somebody who's also done it for a long time, and they know how to manipulate uh, manipulate children, uh, specifically teenage girls. And then we have the whole gender identity crisis that's going on right now. That leads to a lot of vulnerability amongst uh, amongst you know younger boys. Nick McKinley is our guest. Deliverfund.org is his website. We're talking about the human trafficking scourge of uh, enslavement of peoples in our planet today and what we should be doing about it. Um, I would like you to address, as, as a parent, I got six kids, two grandkids, and um, the very thought that someone could take one of my kids makes my heart skip a beat. What, what as parents, what should we know? What, what do we need to know about uh, all of this uh, that might help protect our friends, our family, and even our own kids? We need to educate our children as to what human trafficking is, right? So if we go back and we look at the, the war on drugs in the 1980s, uh, nobody really knew what was going on with narcotics. The government came out with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of PSAs. The next thing you know, we're telling our kids uh, and educating them about, you know, just saying no if somebody offers them drugs. Uh, it's the same thing with human trafficking and the human trafficking cycle. We need to educate our children as to what it is. Uh, we actually uh, put put forward a, a YouTube series on Deliver Fund's YouTube channel, which is called uh, Hunting with a Huntress. And one of our uh, one of our senior targeting analysts, uh, Kara Smith, will will walk parents through the social media of these human traffickers and tell you why they're doing what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, so in many ways we say, well, we want to, we want to protect our children, but we can't be with our children all the time. And human traffickers are not going to snatch them out of a grocery store. Again, it's not that that never happens. It does happens and our heart happen. And our, our heart breaks for the parents who have to experience that. But mo most human trafficking is, an older guy 
meets, you know, slightly older guy meets a slightly younger girl online, starts talking to her, starts manipulating her, starts driving a wedge between her and her parents and her and her friends and her support network convinces her to run away with him. He's actually a scout for a human trafficker. He's doing this to five or six other girls uh, at simultaneously um, gets that girl in front of that human trafficker. Uh, there is a, uh, a period that they call the seasoning period. Um, I, we won't get into details of what they do, but it's incredibly brutal and it just breaks their will and makes them uh, reliant on narcotics and uh, uh, and the trafficker for their very survival. Uh, and so what we need to do, what we fight at Deliver Fund is the actual human trafficker. And it's important to understand that you cannot have a human trafficking victim if you do not have a human trafficker, so we target the human trafficker. The church is really trying to target the demand side by changing the hearts of men. Um, we need to, as parents, address really what is the supply side of this economic chain, which is educating our children as to what human trafficking is, how human traffickers will manipulate them, and more importantly, and this is key, if you have a teenage girl, you probably know you don't know as much about her life as say her friends do. And that's actually the key is because friends will pay attention to what's happening with their friends. And so by educating your daughter about what's happening with human trafficking, you very well may help her save one of her friends life and vice versa. Wow. Now, as a woman, we constantly get these on social media. You'll see like, oh, if you see like a, a paper on your windshield or if you see this on your car, um, just get in and lock the doors right away. Like constantly there's all these like creative things that people say human traffickers do. W- would you say that's realistic? Um, do, do women really just get taken outside of targets for trying to unstick something from their car? No, uh, those and, and because. God provide me with the platform. I'm going to use it. Um, all those conspiracy theories, the QAnon, you know, people are eating children in their basement. The, uh, what was the other one? Uh, it was a furniture company that was selling children in cabinetry online. Um, you know, the water bottle on the car, the piece of paper on the car, absolute and complete conspiracy theories that are just not true. Um, human traffickers don't have to go to those lengths to get to, to get victims for them to manipulate. Uh, there are plenty of vulnerable people in, in the world. And we want you to think about it this way. Every single uh, teenage girl is potentially vulnerable to becoming a human trafficking victim. Um, same thing with uh, with younger boys. However, once you start adding lack of a positive male role model, lower socioeconomic status, lack of opportunity we're in the middle of covid so we've taken away the only structure that a lot of these kids have within school and we've given them a laptop and free broadband internet access Uh, what that has done is actually increased the human trafficking problem because these human traffickers primarily target you know runaways at bus stops kids who age out of the foster care system and vulnerable people they know how to find them they do not need to abduct victims out of the 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 parking lot of a uh, grocery store wow we only have about uh, two and a half minutes left with nick mckinley from deliverfund.org um nick I want to ask you real quick about the the tools that traffickers use to groom, find and groom these their their victims. And I understand video games are a big component in that. Can you speak to that? 
Yes, uh, video games are a big component, uh, specifically with the chat feature. Uh, so if you've got kids that are using, you know, that are that are playing video games online and they're connected to the internet. Um, and I'm talking gaming console boxes, not just on computers. Uh, the chat feature, you either need to monitor it as a parent or disable it because that is exactly how human traffickers will, will get into your home and start speaking to your children. Uh, and, and it's happening in ways that, that you don't even, uh, you know, obviously that you don't understand. And they think they're talking to a friend who's the same age in some other state. Uh, but it's really a, a a human trafficker. And you can actually go to our Deliver Fund website at deliverfund.org, go into the media page, and you'll actually find a case of a 12-year-old boy who was groomed to be a tra- or t- to be a trafficking victim over a period of months through a gaming console. And uh, he was actually abducted outside of his house uh, willingly, but taken then to another state and... Uh, um, Law enforcement was able to recover him, luckily. Wow. Pretty insane. Um, how do you, I assume you operate off of donations. I mean, how do, how do you fund your organization that helps to fight human traffickers? Right now, we are exclusively funded uh, by, you know, by the people, uh, by, by the church, if you will. And so, uh, yes, donations are what we're highly, highly reliant upon. And, and for people who really want to get involved in the fight against human trafficking. Our analysts are, you know, most of them are, are former law enforcement, former CIA, former NSA, uh, former Navy SEALs uh, with, with human intelligence backgrounds. Um, this is the work that they do full time and they need your support in order to be able to do it. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Why do Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven? Doesn't God rebuke the Israelites in the Old Testament for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven? Should we not refer to Mary with that title, therefore, since it's a title of a false god? In Jeremiah 7, verse 18, God is indeed upset with the Israelites for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven. However, just because God rebuked them for worshiping the false Queen of Heaven doesn't mean that we cannot pay honor to the true Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother. That type of thinking would lead you to believe that just because people worship a false god that they call God, we therefore should not call the true God by that same name, God, because that's the same name the idolaters use for their God. That is faulty logic and it makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the fact that there is a false queen of heaven does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false goddess when we call Mary the queen of heaven. Just as the fact that there is a false God does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false God when we call our Father in heaven God. And there is a true Queen of Heaven. We see this quite clearly in Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's see. There's a woman. She's in heaven. And she has a crown on her head. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the cleaning lady. No, it's the true Queen of Heaven, Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule the nations. 
We do not worship Mary. We honor her just as Jesus honors her. So there is absolutely nothing wrong from a scriptural point of view in calling Mary the Queen of Heaven and in honoring her just as Jesus honors her. After all, if Jesus is the King, then Mary is truly the Queen Mother of Heaven. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. GloryandShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryandShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryandShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryandShine.com. Thank you again. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Praise Joe McClain. Praise Jesus Christ. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. Uh, this is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today there is no show. Uh, well, there is a show. It's a pre-recorded show, but it's not live. So don't call in. Don't call into the game show because the game show is going to be put on hiatus just for today. Tomorrow, the game show will be back and just like normal, and you can call in, and we're going to give out a brand new prize. So don't forget, tomorrow we'll be back on our regularly scheduled programming. But for today... For today, because it is July 5th, the day after the 4th of July, the Guadalupe Radio Network has the day off. So, just for today, we are showing a pre-recorded episode, and don't worry, we'll be back with our live programming tomorrow. The game show will be back, and it'll be a lot of fun, just like always. But for today, we're going to have a great interview with Mike Pompeo. So, Senator, or former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, we had this interview a few days ago, and we only were able to play a small portion of that interview on air. But for today, we are showing the full uncut interview here on this uh, this episode. So tune in and uh, let us know what you think. We'll be happy to uh, take questions. You shoot us an email. We'll be happy to answer them. But let us know what you think about this, and let us know how was your 4th of July. I'm sure that Joe and I had a great 4th of July. I'm sure Janelle had a great 4th of July. We will tell you all about it tomorrow when we get back. And let let me give you a sneak peek. I I have to guess. If I had to guess, I would say that we got a little bit of sleep in. I'm going to guess that we slept in just a little bit. I could be wrong. We'll find out tomorrow. But as of recording this on the 2nd of July, my plans for this weekend is I'm going to sleep and I'm going to pop some fireworks and have some barbecue. But that is my plan for today. But you know, before we jump in completely, let me, let me start us in prayer and then we'll jump in to the interview with our former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on China and how China is attacking America. We'll be talking about the cybersecurity and we'll be talking about religious freedom in America. So these are topics or the things we covered in this interview. If uh, you normally listen with your kids and you think, you know, I don't want my kids hearing about the uh, this controversy in China and religious liberty 
and uh, in cybersecurity, then maybe tune out just for today and come back tomorrow when the game show will be back. But for today, that's going to be the interview with Mike Pompeo during this hour. And uh, then let me let's start us up in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I cry, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And I pray that you had a blessed 4th of July weekend. I pray that your families were safe, that y'all had fun, and that y'all remembered about the 4th of July, that we in America, we founded this country on three core principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And these are very important ideals that we should keep in mind, that we should fight for life. We should fight for the life of the unborn, for the life of every person, that they have intrinsic worth bestowed upon them by God, dignity and worth, that, that that's why we are pro-life. That's why we fight for the child in the womb, because we are, this is our core American principles. Liberty, what is liberty? Not licentiousness, not the freedom to do whatever we want, the freedom to sin, the freedom to go to hell. No, but the freedom to love God, the freedom to know, love, and serve God in this life. That is the freedom we want because it's a freedom for something, not a freedom from something. And that is what we should be desiring. Why should we desire this? Well, the freedom there directly relates to the pursuit of happiness. And what is the pursuit of happiness? But just like the Baltimore Catechism says, we are here on earth to know, love, and serve God on this life so we may be happy with him in the next. And that is the pursuit of happiness that we should be striving for. That is the pursuit of happiness that we should be thinking of when we think of the American ideals, think that we have our lives and what do we do with that life? We take it and we use that liberty to pursue the happiness of heaven. But but without further ado, I throw you in with the interview with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Good morning to you, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Thank you for your time today. It's great to be with you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, praise be to God. Uh, There's so many things to discuss uh, with someone uh, of your caliber and your level. We're very grateful that you're on with us today. Let's start with uh, the rising tensions with China and with Russia. It seems to me that uh, things are elevating in these days. Do you see that? I know you've seen things at a level most human beings will never see at. Uh, Secretary of State, former, uh, you led the CIA, you're Army officer, West Point. You've got a lot of uh, great background there. How do you see the geopolitics and the world stage from an American perspective? Well, your point is well taken. However, I think we need to separate out the threat that is presented to average everyday Americans from Russia and from China. Uh, we, we defeated the Soviet Union. The, the Russian economy is not that big. They still have a thousand nuclear warheads. And Vladimir Putin is someone who is prepared to engage in bad conduct. We saw it with uh, what, what they've done in Ukraine. We've seen it, what they've done to the six million people who had to flee in Syria, denying them their basic human dignities. We've watched from Russian soil attack on a, on a colonial pipeline, preventing us from moving gas up and down our east coast. So uh, make no mistake, Vladimir Putin needs to be dealt with. We need to confront him. We need to deter him. But the challenge of uh, our lifetimes is the Chinese Communist Party. The, the Chinese Communist Party presents the only threat to the United States of America from outside of the country that can truly change our way of life. And 
has both the capability and the intent of doing so. And so, yes, I, I, I wouldn't say tensions are rising because the Chinese Communist Party has been at war with the American worker for 20 plus years now. Uh, we need to confront them. We need to impose costs on them. We, we need to prevent them from spying on us here inside of the United States. We need to preserve the capacity for uh, products to move around in the Pacific and Indian Oceans. Those are things that are really important for everyone here in the United States, whether we live in an agricultural place like Kansas, where I'm from, or a more urban place like New York City. The Chinese Communist Party has the intention of making America look a lot more like their model, the authoritarian, tyrannical, absence of rights respecting model that they have, and we can't let that happen. So with let's go back to Russia for a moment and the, the ransom attacks on corporations that we're seeing now is becoming more and more commonplace. Are we as a government, are we as a people, is our government doing anything to try to prevent this, to get to the bottom line, to prosecute, to hold people accountable? Uh, what is, in fact, going on behind the scenes? Oh, yes, there's certainly there's, there's lots of work. This is an incredibly challenging problem. It is really cheap, it really inexpensive to use cyber tools to attack others. Offense is easier to play than defense. But it's clearly the case. The United States government is doing an awful lot. So is the private sector. I've watched, I watched the financial industry. I watched the energy industry. All of these critical infrastructure industries are working really hard to protect their systems. But in the end, these are attacks from foreigners on sovereign soil in the United States. The responsibility to protect these systems, our infrastructure systems, our high-threat systems, to protect them, the responsibility of the United States government. So there are lots of things that are being done. What I regret that this administration hasn't followed through on that we did in the Trump administration is we began to build out a model that would impose real costs on those actors and those who support them. So it's not enough to go after the 10 criminal gangsters or the group of hackers that decides they want to do something that's malicious or maybe try and raise $100,000 or a million dollars in a ransom effort. And that, we, we must go after them. We must try to prosecute them when we can get them to American soil. All those things matter. But we've got to impose costs on those who enable them and permit them to operate from their soil. I'm told that this last attack on the colonial pipeline system was from Russia. We've seen Russian attacks before. But we've also seen attacks that came from China, from North Korea, attacks that emanated from other places. We, we have to hold those who can actually deter, those who can reach out and touch those people in a way that can protect and defend our systems, prosecute them, impose costs on those governments, make clear that this is unacceptable behavior. I saw the President Biden said that there were 16 sectors that the Russians couldn't touch. That's, that's silly. They shouldn't touch any of America, any of American sovereign systems, and we need to protect them all. Are you at all concerned that we'll see a, a, a growth in this part of the uh, sort of the cyber warfare? We're going to see increased attacks. Is, is it going to become more debilitating? I mean, that, that pipeline attack affected many thousands of people along the eastern seaboard. Um, just here in, in the state of Texas, where I'm currently located, we had that winter freeze here, and it shut down power across the state. It affected millions of people. Uh, we have a, a wind farm here in in, uh, in Texas that's owned by a, a Chinese national with connections back to the CCP that connects to our power grid. Uh, seems vulnerable to the average citizen. What would what would you say, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo? Yes, sir. Uh, these are real risks. Uh, we need to address them all. We, we should not permit anyone who has any connection to the Chinese government, and every Chinese company does, 
to own or operate, most importantly, our critical infrastructure systems. It's too risky. And your point about it increasing, it, it will most certainly increase as technology improves and it becomes even more difficult to detect where these came from. The, the defenders, those who have to protect, must get even more capable. And then just as we learned to respond to ever-increasing kinetic power, right, from flintlock rifles to high-powered machine guns, right, to missile systems to space-based systems, just as in the kinetic space, uh, technology has improved the capacity for those who want to do harm. Those who have to defend against us need to develop a strategy to push back. So, yes, I, I, I think there's real risk that this will increase. We've seen dozens and dozens of these attacks, but know that hundreds of them have been disrupted and thwarted as well. This is something that is going to continue, and the United States has to be very clear about its defensive strategy, its strategic defensive strategy, if we're going to deter this behavior. Uh, I want to talk about China in particular again. We see the, uh, well, I keep using the word tensions. Uh, I feel like it just feels this way. And this is part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because as a, as a knuckle dragger, ordinary everyday citizen looking at the news and trying to figure out what's sort of, uh, embellished and what isn't, it's hard to tell sometimes. But I, I gotta be honest, when you're looking at the incursion of, uh, military aircraft from China into Taiwan's airspace, we send ships over there. It feels like things are building up. Is is that the case? Even the Philippines are pushing back. Australia's trying to push back. It seems like things are heating up in the South China Sea. Is that the case? It's certainly the case that for 40 years, and this is Republican and Democrats alike, for 40 years, the United States allowed the Chinese Communist Party to walk all over us. And so did the rest of the West. You mentioned the Philippines. You mentioned Australia. Europe would be in the same bucket. We, we all had this theory of the case that said, if we just sell them a few more trinkets, if we just let another 100,000 of their students come study in the United States, they'll see how great America is, and the Chinese Communist Party will change its stripes. That wasn't crazy. And I can, I can now tell you for sure, not only was it crazy, it didn't work. And so the Trump administration, we began to confront. We, we did it in trade to protect. You talk about knuckle-draggers, right? <laughs> you're, you're Texas. I, I'm from Kansas. I, I'm from the Midwest. We make stuff. We build stuff. We have technology service industries that matter an awful lot. We have to protect those people, we have to protect those jobs. This Chinese stole tens of millions of jobs and billions and billions of dollars worth of intellectual property from us. And we simply said, you know, that's okay. They're a developing country. We're, we're, we're still fine. Well, we're not fine. It is unacceptable. And yes, we are pushing back. And you see that. You see it in the Chinese Communist Party's actions in Taiwan. You see the actions in Hong Kong. You see the fact that... And this, this, I pray about this every day. You see what they're doing to over a million people in the western part of their country. Yeah. Conditions like we haven't seen since the 1930s, internment camps, forced sterilizations, forced abortions on ordinary human beings who are just trying to live their lives and be with their families. This, this is the nature of authoritarian regimes. We know this. This, is, this has been the, the, the biblically true about how human beings must respect each other because we're each made in the image of God. The Chinese do not understand that they've now foisted a virus on the world and covered it up, killing millions of people. And the regime in China, Xi Jinping and his colleagues on the Politburo have not for a moment expressed any willingness to help us understand how this took place and help the world collectively push back to make sure that something like this can never happen again. 
This is when you when you talk about tensions rising, it is a direct result of Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party increasing their intention to achieve global hegemony. Mike Pompeo is our guest. And, you know, I was wondering, we had a going back to talking about the technology and infrastructure, especially with the modern warfare today, it seems as though we have shifted from uh, fighting like very much uh, wars in the traditional sense. And now we're fighting proxy wars. We're fighting digitally. We're fighting via hacking. Uh, and we've seen that hackers at DEF CON publicly showed years ago how easy it was to maliciously take down power grids in the U.S. How has the U.S. cyber infrastructure become this vulnerable to begin with? Well, your point about asymmetric warfare, I, that's the military term, right, where it's really cheap to do offense. It's expensive to build a system that is capable of defending against what is a, a, a laptop and some high-end communications equipment that costs $5,000 or $10,000. So very asymmetric offense to defense. But look, we've built out our infrastructure in a way that we, we had our, have a pretty good handle on what's going on. It is the case. There will be someone breakthrough, someone achieve an attack. There is lots of effort going to make sure that that doesn't happen. And if it happens, it doesn't um, it doesn't cascade. That is, it is a contained attack. So, no, the, the American people should know there is lots of work that the American energy industry and others have done to prevent these attacks from causing a real problem here in the United States. Just just like with terror attacks, you, you, you can't stop them all, but you can build that knowledge, infrastructure, intelligence collection, capacity to respond in a way that achieves deterrence to reduce the risk that one of these attacks is actually cataclysmic or does something that impacts a whole lot of people here in the United States. And we, we continue to build out what, what is missing from this administration's effort is a counter-strike strategic effort that makes clear that if someone engages in this kind of behavior, we're going to hold responsible all of the actors who are responsible for, for permitting it to move forward. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is our guest, and I want to talk about Israel, Iran, China, and Russia. Are you at all concerned about the uh, the the deal that uh, we're discussing and negotiating with Iran over their nuclear uh, capabilities, their enrichment program, and how the deck it seems to be, or the you know things are lining up in such a way where we have like China, Russia, Iran on one side, and then us on the other, and who's actually playing the middle ground? It seems concerning to the average citizen. How do you see it? So I actually have a piece in today's Wall Street Journal talking about exactly this issue with respect to Iran. I cannot for the life of me understand how the Biden administration has the intention of cutting a deal with Ibrahim Raisi, the new selected president in Iran, a man with the blood of thousands of Iranian citizens on his hands, who's now the president of Iran, who we have sanctioned in 2019. I led the effort to sanction him personally. Uh, how they're going to negotiate a deal with him that they have any confidence in. But no one wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon, but the deal they're about to enter into won't prevent that. It's going to have a nine, it's going to be about a nine year deal. That's all that's left. The administration talked, they said they wanted that deal to be longer and stronger. It is going to be shorter and weaker. Mm. And that, that is, that is really dangerous for uh, the United States. But it is in the first instance, ain't dangerous for our friend and ally Israel. We we built out a, a very clear understanding with respect to Iran. If they punched us or they hurt an American, we were going to impose real cost. When Qasem Soleimani threatened Americans, we took him off the battlefield. 
we made clear that we were going to support the Israelis. We, we moved our embassy to Jerusalem. We recognized that the Golan Heights was the rightful land of the Israeli people. We acknowledged that Israel was not an occupying force. We then built out the Abraham Accords because in the end, it's peace that we're trying to achieve in the Middle East. We convinced four amazing Middle Eastern Gulf state leaders to say, yes, Israel has a right to exist. Going back into that deal presents risks to the Abraham Accords and the Gulf states, Israel, and the United States, because in the end, the regime in Iran, since 1979, since the revolution in 1979, has been intent on foisting its theocratic, kleptocratic regime on its own people and wreaking havoc throughout the Middle East. Uh, Mike Pompeo is our guest. Let's switch to domestic affairs, if we can. Um, as a Catholic... I see the world through my, my Catholic, my Christian faith, and I'm very concerned about a lot of the things that are going on in our own country, let alone around the world. I, as a Catholic, I was appalled at seeing the Sino-Vatican deal that became cryptic and who knows what was in it, and yet I see Catholics being persecuted and Christians being persecuted in, in that country along with the Uyghurs and others. But here in America, we're going full-on woke. And I wonder, will I have the right to speak uh, from my conscience in the near future? Will my children have to grow up in an, uh, in an era where they will have to keep their Christian faith secret in order to avoid being persecuted, either softly or even more in a hardcore way? What say you, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo? You're never going to let that happen, and your listeners are never going to let that happen. I, I'm an evangelical Christian. I, I talked about my faith when I was a Secretary of State uh, because it was important for people to understand who I was and how I thought about the world. I was unabashed about doing that. I think it drove some of the lawyers at the State Department crazy. <laughs> uh, but it was important for people to know who Mike was and how I saw the world, and my faith informs how I see the world, just as you described as well. When I see what's taking place today in our elite institutions, uh, the, the academy and universities, our faculties in our K-12 through schools, our, even places in our judicial system, and sadly now as a former soldier, I have to say, in our military, where people who come from a conservative worldview or a Christian worldview are told, no, that, that voice is not welcome, that in fact the nation was, was built on a, a set of racist ideas that is, that's fundamentally false. We have, to, we have to begin a revival of understanding our founding, the things that made America so exceptional and great. And I, I'm convinced. I see it everywhere I go. I've been traveling the country helping conservative candidates do the things they need to do to get elected. I, I see it everywhere I go. I hear ordinary people saying, enough, no more, not on my watch. I'm going to protect my family, my church, my school, my freedom. Uh, I am really optimistic that people have seen this movement, this this woke movement, this cancel culture and they're going to respond, and there will be a counter-effort to push back against it, and we will restore and revive the things that you and I all know are so central to making this nation the most exceptional in the history of civilization. And that brings up a great question, which is, you know, we hear constantly from the left how, you know, we have to have this separation of church and state, stop trying to bring your religion into the state, and they tried to browbeat everyone and so set up their own religion, their religion of leftism into the school system, into the, uh, into our politics, into our government, into the military. How do we respond to that? It seems like many Republicans just roll over and say, you're right. We can't have religion and, and politics mix ever. 
look, we all, we all know what the founders talked about. They, they, the First Amendment was unambiguously clear. We, we won't establish a religion, but we're going to permit every American the free exercise of their faith. And that means that if, if, if you're in school, or in my case, you're a, a, someone who's serving America as a, a member of President Trump's team, if you're, if you're engaged, you have every right to talk about your faith, uh, and to pray and to, to do these things in a way, you know, if, if someone chooses not to have a faith, our Constitution permits that as well, and they can practice their own. Or if they're not Christian, if they're Jewish or Muslim or, or, or whatever faith, they ought to have the right to practice their faith in the way they choose. We must demand this. Uh, I, I did it every place I was. I did it at the Central Intelligence Agency. I, I worked on it at the State Department as well to make sure that every person on the team that I was responsible for knew that they could bring their faith in, into the way they saw the world and how they acted. We, we, were, we, we swore oath to the Constitution, but we did not check our commitment to the Lord and to, to Jesus Christ at the door, and we should never be required to do so. And It's going to require us all standing up, demanding that this be the case, making sure that those leaders that you talked about who are rolling over don't, and if they permit, uh, if they permit, the secular state to rise. If they're not prepared to, to fight and to never give an inch, then we need to find someone to run the country who will. Uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is our guest. Uh, what is the one thing that keeps you up at night, not internationally but domestically? What's, is there an, a single issue or maybe a, a couple of issues that give you the most concern? You, you hit on it. We, we know the central ideas that made our country so special and holds our republic together. Our founders talk about this as a nation that depends on people of character and integrity and with virtue. Uh, if we get those things wrong, if we lose the bubble on that, uh, I, you know, I worry about Russia, I worry about the Chinese Communist Party, I'm worried about the Iranians, but if we get it wrong at home, then we, we have the chance that we can lose this republic, this thing that, that is so special. This would be terrible for each of us. It would be horrible for our country, but it'd be a really bad thing for the world because so much of the world does in fact depend on our democracy, our republic, to be that beacon, to be that place that they can look to as special and unique and model themselves on as well. It's what I worry about more than anything from outside today. Well, with the current administration, you know, basically labeling lots of people like us as violent extremists, I see a growing rift between the people in America, the majority of the people in America, and the government, or the representatives in government that are supposed to be representing the people. What do we do about that? To elect the right folks. Uh, and I, I would say this gap, this separation, this is, um, is broader than that. The risk is even greater than you identified. It's about a ruling class. That doesn't that doesn't uh, understand who we are, who e each of us is, and what made America so truly special. Uh, I I've watched though I've watched even these last few months since uh, since the election, I've watched Americans in places, and this is Americans of of every race, of every gender, say enough, no more. I'm not going to let this happen. Uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to make my school better. I'm going to go to a PTA meeting. I'm going to make my community better. I'm going to attend a city council meeting, or I'm going to run for school board. I have seen Americans do those things. They take on those civic responsibilities and those responsibilities within their faith community, within their churches, in ways that uh, that that make me smile and make me have confidence that the United States will continue to be a great nation. I, I've, I've watched it. I've seen it. It is growing. It is a real movement. 
And we need to make sure that the leaders, the people that we send, not just to Washington, D.C., but to the Capitol in Austin, Texas, to the Capitol in Topeka, Kansas, to sit on our, our county commissions, our sheriff's offices, that those people share an understanding of America that's, that is in the, the tradition of our founding. And if we don't, if we elect folks who are woke and want to cancel and want to voice uh, critical race theory into our schools, then, then it will be on us for having failed to protect the things that matter most to each of us and to our families. Wow. Uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, we're very grateful for your time today. We know that you're that you're continuing to work. You're getting active again. You've got uh, a CAF PAC that you put together. Tell us about that real quick. So I created an organization called CAV PAC. It's a little nod to my time in the service. I was in the cavalry. Uh, the cavalry is the vanguard of the United States Army. It, it sounds the alarm and rides to the sound of the guns. And so CAV PAC. It also stands for championing American values. What, what you and I have been talking about this morning, we have to protect those values that are traditional and American. Uh, we're going around the country. I'll be in uh, Texas tomorrow helping Congressman Burgess. I'll be out in California on Saturday helping uh, another elected official. Uh, working to make sure that President Biden and his team have as short a runway as possible and to promote candidates who will do precisely what you describe, who will be faithful, who are fearless, and who are prepared to defend the things that have made this country so special. Wow. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful. God bless you. Praise be to Jesus Christ, and thank you so much for listening to Catholic Drive Time today. Today was a pre-recorded interview, so don't worry. We'll be right back tomorrow morning on your regularly scheduled Catholic Drive Time show, and we'll be here to do our game show. We'll be here to do our live interviews tomorrow morning on July 6th. That's tomorrow, but for today... Just for today, we were had July 5th. We had the day off with the Guadalupe Radio Network. But don't worry. Be here tomorrow. And don't forget to share. Check out our, our Instagram page. Check out our Facebook. Check out our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. Watch some of our content so that way it can help us grow our channel. And you can be part of our CDT family, our CDT insiders. And you can help grow our apostolate. So make sure to go check out our Catholic Drive Time show and like and subscribe and share those interviews with people that you think would find our interviews, our content, informative and inspiring. But without further ado, I will see you tomorrow. So God bless you. God love you. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Live from the Sun 